welcome to the first episode of the business part podcast. Music business is made up of two parts, the music part and the business part, and we discuss the business part. Today's episode is about Meg Thee Stallion and the contract dispute between her and her label 1501 Certified Entertainment. So Meg is a female rapper known for lyrics such as, don't be mad ho, get a bag ho, but currently she's pretty mad while simultaneously trying to get a bag. So apparently you can do both. Today I have Denzel. That's good. On the po- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Today I have Denzel on the podcast with me. Um, he uh, is what I call a hip hop connoisseur. He keeps up with the goings on in the music industry. He's been on a couple of podcasts and radio shows himself. And so that's why I like having him here, uh, basically to offer a little bit of commentary because I would actually say you've probably read a lot more about this situation than I have. Um, I would have thought that until earlier today. <laughs> read more than me now. <laughs> Oh yeah, I was I was trying to make sense of a lot of things earlier, and that's what led me to like reading more and watching videos. Yeah. So before we get into all the things I was trying to make sense of, I'm just gonna quickly go down the list of what we are talking about today. So um, in this first episode, I thought it would be fun to kind of look at the situation with Megan the Stallion, um, original name Megan Pete, and talk about the issues that she's been having with her label and her contract or as I figured out, maybe multiple contracts. So if uh, if you're not familiar with Megan, uh, last summer, if you were wondering why all of a sudden everybody wanted to be a hot girl and it was hot girl summer, that was all due to Meg Thee Stallion. Um, and she put out a project uh, entitled Fever and between um, her hit songs and videos and just her social media fame, she was able to basically make this concept of hot girl summer go viral. I won't even attribute it all to her music. Like a lot of it is just her persona and her brand uh, that people gravitated towards. So uh, recently she entered into a public dispute with her label, 1501 Certified Entertainment, um, and the CEO, Carl Crawford, who was a former baseball player. Um, So it started off as a, a dispute and it's turned into a lawsuit. So basically, uh, February 29th was when, I'll just call her Meg going forward, she went on Instagram Live and basically said that her label was blocking her from releasing music. She asked 1501 to, to renegotiate and according to her, that's when everything quote unquote went left. When I signed, I didn't really know what was in my contract. I was young, I, I think I was like 20. And I know everything that was in that contract. So when I got with Rock Nation, I got management, real management. I got real lawyers. And they was like, do you know that this is in your contract? And I was like, oh, damn, that's crazy. No, I didn't know. So I'm not mad at 1501. I wasn't upset because I'm thinking in my head, oh, well, everybody cool. We all family. It's cool. It's nice. Let me just ask some niggas to renegotiate my contract. I want to renegotiate my contract everything went left like it just all went bad it all went left so now they're telling the bitch that she can't drop no music it's really just like a greedy game uh so it's it's not entirely clear what that meant uh specifically in legal terms or in music terms but it led to a disagreement uh, Meg claiming that this is a greedy game. She says that she's not preventing anyone from getting money that they quote unquote feel entitled to. But the fact that she uses phrases like they feel entitled to uh, suggests to me that she definitely doesn't feel as owed to them. So it'll be curious to see how that unfolds. So that happened on a Saturday. Two days later on a Monday, a Texas judge granted a temporary restraining order against 1501 so that Megan could release uh, her album, Sugar. Um, the loss, uh, and then a lawsuit was filed the same day. And in the lawsuit, supposedly she's asking for $1 million and termination of her contract with 1501. Uh, she's being represented by Richard Bush, which if you pay attention to the music industry, that is the same attorney that represented Marvin Gaye's family in their lawsuit against Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams. 
Um, and then on the following day, Tuesday, March 3rd, that's when a Billboard article came out where uh, Carl Crawford, the CEO of 1501, basically claimed that Megan was lying about everything. I feel like it's unlikely she was lying about everything, but that's what he said. He said that this whole situation is a plot by Rock Nation. They are trying to uh, cause a divide between Meg and 1501 so that they can take her as an artist for themselves. Um, Crawford also claimed that uh, Rock Nation sent Suge Knight's old lawyers to quote unquote rob him. Um, and he also claims that he knows nothing about the about the music business and that uh, T. Ferris, who works with him, is the one who wrote the deal that Megan signed. So that's a lot. Um, and what led Denzel and I to discussing this is basically all the comments on social media that were like, oh, Meg should have read her contract. Meg should have hired a lawyer. And so we just started talking about all the ways that even if a person had read a contract or, or hired a lawyer, things could kind of go wrong. But let's just start by talking a little bit about this situation in and of itself. So in your opinion, what do you think is actually going on? There's a lot of holes, but like when, when you first heard about this story and when you first started reading about it, what were your first thoughts? All right. Well, my first thoughts were, uh, why is Megan doing this? Like, I always wonder, like, yeah, I always wonder why, like, anything that's supposed to be behind closed doors, like business-wise, fans don't particularly care about you know they can say people say they want to know about the music industry but everything that we see that's supposed to be giving us the inside look of the music industry don't show shit but niggas sitting in the studio they don't even show the niggas working so nobody really gives a fuck what's happening in the inner workings of the music industry so my first thought was why then after hearing what she said and listening not listening but reading that call Crawford billboard interview my thoughts was all right whoever T Ferris is, is the culprit here. And Meg probably does owe this guy money. But you know, my mindset is from what I know, from what me and you talking about, what I know is to see the level of exposure that Meg has seen over the last two years, that doesn't come free. And that's not just social media. Look, I just went viral. Like, no, somebody was pumping money into certain ad campaigns and things like that to place you in the right areas. So I was looking at like probably she does owe him money. At this point, I still feel like the person T. Ferris is like the real issue here because this is the only one who's knowledgeable of the music industry. And they're not saying anything. But right now, I think, like I said, it's just two people who don't know exactly what's going on or what they're doing. One had the money, one had the talent, but nobody had the knowledge. <laughs> That's a really good point. And I made a whole list of things about the situation that didn't make sense to me. Um, yeah. and the fact that T. Ferris hasn't been saying anything was on that list. Because like <laughs> yeah. you said, he knows about the music industry. His name has been brought up by other Houston artists such as Mike Jones um, and Paul Wall. So he's, you know, he's not exactly new to this, right? And there were just a lot of things that weren't lining up from my perspective. So the, the first thing that I realized was that like, okay, Meg said that she signed a contract and when she was 20, which would have been five years ago. She's now 25. But 1501 Entertainment didn't exist until like maybe 2017, 2018. Um, and so 2017 was when Carl Crawford said that he moved T. Ferris into his house to teach him about the music industry. So that was another thing that was odd to me that Carl Crawford was like, oh, I don't know anything about the industry. And so then I was like, well, then why was this guy living with you for a year, you know? And so then it became a question of, okay, so did Meg sign something when she was 20 and it wasn't with 1501 or is she really just that off as far as her timelines, which I feel is unlikely. So it's almost adding up to look like this T. Ferris person probably had her sign something when she was 20. Um, and T. Ferris was the one who presented Meg to Carl Crawford via social media a couple years later. So it serves to reason that maybe he was managing her on some level. And then when he realized that his buddy had some money and wanted to start a label was like, oh, you should sign her. So then a few years later, she ended up signing something with 1501. 
or depending on the nature of the paperwork she signed with T. Ferris, maybe she never actually signed anything with 1501. Maybe she signed something with T. Ferris, and then T. Ferris signed something with 1501. Um, and then you fast forward to 2018, I believe was when she signed a, a separate deal with 300 Entertainment. And that's also not clear because some sources say Meg signed to 300 Entertainment, but Carl Crawford says that 300 Entertainment wrote him a check. So that's another question. Who actually has the, has the agreement with 300? Is it 1501 or is it Meg? And then fast forward to late 2019 and now Meg's got a management deal with, uh, with Rock Nation. So she's got a lot going on in terms of legal agreements and paperwork. So with all that being said, um, I know you know my opinion on the people who keep saying that she should have hired a lawyer, but I kind of want to get back to um, basically the people that Carl Crawford is working with, like T. Ferris and 300 Entertainment and Jay Prince. So you know a little bit about those people. Like, what's their history like? Well, 300 Entertainment, uh, that's Leor Cohen and Kevin Lau, so AKA late 90s, early 2000s Def Jam. That's them over there. So they're known to fuck people over. We're going to keep it real. <laughs> I mean, you know, early 90s hip hop, look at DMX. Like, yeah, Jay-Z made it out good. Eminem made it out good. But a lot of early 90s hip hop artists, you know, they still happen to like release music to literally put food on the table. Or they'll tell you that their first deals were fucked up. So, you know, that's what I think when I think 300, you know, they have experience, but they also, I imagine they're going to pry they're gonna prey on younger people who don't know that much who just want to be in the spotlight. That's my mindset on 300. Uh, what's the other one? T. Ferris. I said I don't know a lot about T. Ferris. I just know that like you're listening to Houston rap. I didn't hear that name a couple of times. So when you hear a name a lot in rap, you know they had something to do with the background. I just know from what's being presented right here, it sounds like he is the person that could explain it all and he's not being vocal. So I think he's not being vocal for that very reason, that he is doing something shady. And Carl Crawford even stated that, that he was like, if she wants to question anybody, that's who she should be questioning because that's who drew up the contract. You know, he said, I just, he said this contract worked. I was cool with it and she was cool with it. That's how Carl Crawford sees it. But if he's really the one who drew the contract up, then it really should be, all right, why did you make this contract like this? Carl's responsible because it's his label for Meg to be working with that guy, knowing that he had a hand in drawing that contract up. She should be kind of looking at him with a side eye. And she should, like, out, well, that's further on, but she should have her own lawyers. But that's further on. Uh, Jay Prince, my whole thing on Jay Prince is that, like, I don't want to make it sound like some type of hero because a lot of people don't like Jay Prince. And Jay Prince has been known for strong armor artists, literally. But I think his stance on it is if we do our part, we say what our part is and we do our part, you need to, uh, you need to own up to your side of the obligation. And I think the reason that he's taking up for Carl, Carl, Carl Crawford because Carl is from Houston and Jay Prince is going to take up from anybody that's from Houston if you know his history. If you're from Houston, he's going to have your back and he's going to want to see you win. That's A. Carl Crawford has an independent label. Rap-A-Lot was an independent label. If you read Jay Prince's, uh, how you say, autobiography, he kind of talks about Rap-A-Lot's come up and how people tried to strong arm him and because he was from the street and he handled situations differently. That's why that didn't happen to Rap-A-Lot because they had more aggressive tactics of dealing with people who tried to strong arm them, essentially. But... but I feel, and even him saying that, like, a new artist without any type of leverage getting a 60, a 40, 60 split, even when me and you talk about that, I'm like, granted, she's paying for her recording. I, I still think if she's smart enough about where she's recording it, that's still a good bulk of her money coming back to her. Right. If she's smart, you know, if you're smart about your budgeting, that's still a good bulk of money coming back to you. But I think, like I said, I think Jay Prince just stepped in because he knew Carl and he didn't want to see Carl get screwed over and he understand how the industry works. He's worked, you know, he's worked with the lights. He signed Scarface originally. And at some point in the early 2000s, Scarface was doing a lot of work 
with Rockefeller. So he's done worked with Jay-Z. He done met these people. Leo Cohen and people like that. He done met these people. Rap a lot has been going, I think, since like the late 80s. And it was actually a big label at that point. That's where the Ghetto Boys come from, UGK. Uh, and you know, Houston rap, you know, Zero came out of that. A lot of stuff came from that camp. So I would imagine, like I said, you know, he knows the music industry well. And he's just known to be an enforcer. I don't want to say an enforcer, but I guess it's because of how I read people. He's the type of person that if you do right on your end, you don't have to worry about nothing. But if you do wrong, you're going to have a problem. And so I think that's his reputation. A lot of people don't like Jay Prince because he has that reputation for being. Um, I think I think people fear Jay Prince for that. I think they fear him for that. It's like, you know, it's like it's like how people look into, you know, when you're a kid and you live in a house with your dad. You know, your dad is usually the enforcer, usually the enforcer in the house in the black house. Sometimes the kids be scared of dad because, you know, you do something. He going to whoop your ass. Dad is going to whoop your ass. Mom may tell you to stop, but dad is for sure going to whoop your ass. And I think that's kind of how people look at Jay Prince. But to the same extent, if you're doing right, you don't have to worry about dad doing nothing to you. You know, you're doing right. You're getting your good grades in school. He tell you congrats. He'll give you something for that. But it's like you got to understand that. And then as you get older, you start understanding why it's happening. I understand I said, because I'm from an aggressive area, I understand why Jay Prince does things the way he does. There's been a lot of times where, like, people have tried to strong, like you said, you're going to try to strong on the independent labels. Even in this situation, what he's saying is, Carl has put the money behind this girl for her to see this national success. And now Rock Nation is coming in, trying to sign her for themselves. After he, Carl has put the work in and hasn't even reaped the benefit of the work that he put in. Rock Nation's done the same. Before it was Rock Nation, Rockefeller tried to do that with Lil Wayne in 04. Before it was even Rock Nation, Jay-Z tried to get Lil Wayne from under Birdman. You know, as a recent, Lil Uzi Vert signed straight to uh, Rock Nation when he was having issues with his label, with DJ Drama and them at his label. And, you know, we never find out what the issues are. All we know is that the artist is complaining. But we also know that the artists aren't very big. Most artists aren't business savvy. I don't care what level of artistry they're on. Most artists aren't business savvy. So he could be complaining about things that really are his fault. But all that matters is how it looks. So if it looks like Rock Nation is coming in and saving a struggling artist, that's what we look at it as. You know, Meg says, I can't release music because Rock Nation is trying to help me out. That's all we see as people. We don't think about the fact that Meg has contractual obligations that she has not met. And people are asking her, people are asking you to meet your obligations. Even her project that she released last week, apparently how it's written is an album is considered to be 45 minutes of music. Her project that she just released was 40 minutes. You couldn't put two more songs on it? Right. In order to meet one album, actual obligation, which is exactly two more songs. One, four albums. And to date, although she's put out two projects, she hasn't released any, yeah, any yeah. put in an album. But yes, yeah, so I guess I'm just not at an age or a mindset where I'm just like leaning automatically towards the artist side. It's like, I understand that a label is like a bank. So if a bank gives you a loan for your mortgage and you don't pay your fucking mortgage, your house is getting repossessed, right? Right. So yeah. let's talk about that a little bit because before we get too deep into it, like I yeah. know we know the details, but I want to talk a little bit about the deal and what's being claimed yeah. in the lawsuit. Okay. All right, so the deal, what we do you know about the it has been, Huh? You found the lawsuit? I didn't find the lawsuit, but I found statements okay. that have been made by the attorney about the lawsuit. Okay, so, okay. okay, I was looking for it this weekend. I was like, oh, she found it. <laughs> well, there's supposed to be a, a, another hearing on in two days, okay. actually. So we're probably going to hear more, and we might want to like re- revisit this conversation after okay. that. But so far, what we know yeah. about the deal... So we talked about the 60-40 split, and that 60-40 split is uh, related to recording profit. So the label gets 60, Meg is supposed to get 40. The lawsuit claims that Meg's actual share that she's received is 26%. Um, And then there's also a 360 deal component to the deal. So basically 1501 gets 50% of publishing, 30% of touring income, 30% of merchandising, control of merchandising rights and a cut of passive income so that's any sponsorships endorsements she gets any acting deals they get a cut of all of that so the lawsuit right now is asking for one million dollars and a termination of the contract and one million seems a little bit low 
considering what she's claiming that she missed out on. But it's one. she's asking for $1 million in termination of her contract. Uh, the lawsuit claims that 1501 misrepresented their ability to promote her music. Uh, they're claiming that T. Ferris was an, actually an outside consultant of 1501, not a business partner as originally claimed. Uh, they're claiming that this contract led to immediate and irreparable injury to May. Uh, they're also claiming that 1501 took complete advantage of Meg and fraudulently induced her into signing the deal. Um, and in order for that to have any weight, Meg would have to prove that um, that Carl Crawford and 1501 made false statements that were beyond typical overstatements. So like in the music industry, it's not uncommon for people to inflate a little bit what they're capable of, who they're connected to, what they can do for you, et cetera. So she would have to prove that they made false statements that went over and beyond that. She would also have to prove that 1501 knew that they were being dishonest um, and that the false statements are what led to her signing the deal. And she would have to prove that her signing this deal um, basically led to an injury, which, you know, in a legal sense, losing profits or losing uh, revenue that you should have had access to would be considered injury. Um, so going back to what you were saying about her fulfilling um, her side of the contract, that's what makes it so difficult to figure out who's right and who's wrong here. Because what we know about things like advances, like you said, labels are a bank. An advance is, an essential, is essentially a loan, right? And $10,000 is not a lot. So here's, here's one thing that I'll say for any independent artist listening. Yeah. Typically, um, if you sign a production mm -hmm. deal, um, or even a management deal before you've uh, reached a certain level of fame or notoriety or even, you know, income or venue size as far as live shows, those shouldn't be long-term deals, right? So the fact that, you know, Meg would have signed a deal in 2018 with 1501 makes sense. The idea that she would have signed something five years ago that she's still um, locked into doesn't make as much sense. Um, unless like she said she didn't know what was in her contract so it's likely that she didn't even know what she was doing but i cannot imagine a brand new artist signing a five-year deal with anybody for anything not knowing what they're capable of achieving right so when it comes to that advance yeah. um it's really unclear what exactly she was responsible for versus what the label was responsible for so like with this 40 60 split we don't know how much of that 40 percent she had to give back Right. And on top of that, she claims the bookkeeping was very vague. So we don't even know if she actually was getting her 40 percent um, off the right amount in the first place. There's just a lot that's unclear there. Um, so in my opinion, I kind of feel like what you've been saying is true, that like you've got Meg who didn't know what was going on. You've got Carl who doesn't know what's going on. And then you've got other industry players who just do what they've been known to do. T. Ferris has been known to be associated with talent. He's been doing that. Um, Rock Nation, this isn't the first time that they would have tried this whole divide and conquer this strategy. Still with, talent. Yeah, <laughs> with yeah. artists and labels. So they're doing that. 300 Entertainment, not that long ago, the Migos were accusing them of blocking them from releasing music. So mm -hmm. in my opinion, like, mm -hmm. is, is Meg wrong for not having read her contract? Hey, yo, I'm a bad. Huh? Oh, I was just naming other artists that had, had issues with 300. Uh, I know you don't know who Famous Dex is, but another guy named Famous Dex, he recently had issues with 300, not letting release music. Uh, Rich the Kid, associate of Migos, same thing, went online, 300's not letting me release music. And, you know, this is Leo Cohen. You know who Leo Cohen is. And, you know, uh, it's like the Russian of hip-hop. <laughs> People don't like him. He's like, he looks like a Street Fighter character. <laughs> He's like a strong-willed... Street Fighter character, but he's known for like, you know, all right, well, we ain't gonna put his music out. You know, starve him and then see what they want to do. He's known for those types of tactics with artists. Right. So for all we know, it could be 300 not letting the music come out. Right, and that's the confusing part because most of the media is not talking about 300 or T. Ferris or their role in this at all. But if you start looking at like, especially like, let's say most of the sources are accurate. And Meg yeah. did sign a distribution deal with 300. They would be in a position yeah. to stop her distribution. And exactly. it would kind of be like 
their MO to do that for whatever reason that they do it. So it almost looks like it's not so much that 1501 was in the wrong. It almost looks like T. Ferris got two ignorant people in into a deal that wasn't advantageous for the artist and that the label wasn't in a position to like hold up their end. And then 300 came along and just started with the BS. And then Rock Nation was like, hey, this artist is worth something. Let's expose all the bullshit that's in her contract because the contract sounds like it might actually be bullshit um, so that we can take it for ourselves. Because I like looking at the claims in this lawsuit, I don't expect this to actually be settled in court. I, I fully expect for Meg to try to settle this out of court so she can just get out of the contract. Like, I don't expect yeah. this to be settled in court. Yeah. But for that reason, I would say that it's one of those situations where, like, everybody's wrong. I'm not going to be like the people on social media who are attacking Meg, like, oh, you should have read your contract, yada, 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 because it sounds like the way that she got played, even if she read her contract, unless she had a lawyer who was just so experienced, right? And I say that because, like, let's say you get a lawyer who knows the law. If they don't have experience in the music industry to know what to watch out for, you can still be taken advantage of by certain contracts. So if they're not experienced enough to know that $10,000 isn't a good advance, or I won't even say not a good advance, $10,000 might last you a year, maybe, right? So if they're not experienced enough to know that, if they're not experienced enough to know that you shouldn't sign a five-year-plus contract as a new artist, um, if they're not experienced, uh, experienced enough to um, to put stipulations in in the first place to make sure that there is adequate booking. If they're not experienced enough to know everything that can go wrong with a 360 deal and what to watch out for, you can still be taken advantage of even if you read, even if you get a lawyer. Exactly. So if I had to pick a bad guy, I'd probably pin it on T. Ferris right now. Um, but as far as who's right and who's wrong, Meg is wrong. And the label is wrong. Yeah, they both agreed yeah. to stuff that they were ignorant about. Like, that just wasn't wow. smart on anybody's exactly. part. The first time, before even getting any more information, just reading both of their sides, that was the one thing I kept wondering. Like, all right, what is this nigga T. Ferris doing? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, it really seems like he's the issue. But, like, that's who Meg is clinging down to. So, of course, she's not going to ask him any questions because in her eyes, well, that's who was there when I was at the bottom, and that's who's there with me now. So, of course, I'm not going to look at him crazy. But at the same time, I mean, you might want to look at him crazy because, like, like I said, the initial, her initial, before she became who she is now, when I found out about it, like, the end of 2017 or early 2018, is, like, to get you to that national level, that takes, like, you know, me and you talk about this all the time. That takes a lot of considerable money to push you that far that fast within two or three years. You got to have some money behind what you're doing. It takes a considerable amount. Like, you know, this is when, like you said, the, 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 the business part of it. That's when you start thinking about the business of the music industry and not just the, all oh, this music is great, you know. You say this all the time. I used to have friends in college get mad at me for saying it's like, it's hella niggas with great music. No, niggas in my neighborhood with great music, you know, recorded nice and everything, but they don't have a push behind them. They don't have people who understand legal. They don't have people who understand accounting. They don't have people who understand marketing and promotions and things like that behind them. All they have is great music. And I'm not here to knock nobody for that, but when you think about music as a business, when you think about a corner store as a business, you don't think about, I just got to stop my store. You think about, I got to keep my store stocked up. I got to have workers to work my store. I got to be weary of the neighborhood that I'm in so I can know if I need security cameras or security on spot. You know, every other business, people think about those things. But for some reason, when it comes to music, we just think, if my good music is good, it's all about. And Meg ain't immune to that. Lil Uzi Vert is not immune to that. Hell, Lil Clearly, from what we just saw from Lil Wayne, granted, he was much younger, and there was somebody closer to him. He wasn't immune to that. Nobody is immune to that. You have to treat business like business. You have to look at this like this is a business. You have to figure out where the money is going. You have to figure out where the money is coming from. You have to figure out who's splitting the money. You have to figure out where's the best place to put the money. And, you know, you have to hire people that are working for your interest. Okay. You know, granted, I like to say, I don't have no real experience in this at all, but I just know in doing business in general, in any business, I do audio. Why the hell would I use my job's lawyer to do a contract for me? Right. So you brought up my like job. Two really good points that I want to talk about. One is who is hired and two, where the money comes and goes. Because those were both things that were on the list of things that didn't make sense to me. 
So exactly. one, it seems like Meg has a pattern of just signing things and expecting people to uh, do things for her. So another message yeah. that I want to put out to independent artists is that you have to have people who are working for you. If you become associated with a manager or a label or any entity in the industry and they give you someone to manage you or they give you a lawyer, um, those people aren't working for you. They're working for that industry. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to do wrong by you all the time, but they're not obligated to do right by you either. So like in Meg's case, you know, it's still questionable when she met T. Ferris. Because like I keep saying, she keep she, she keeps saying she signed a deal when she was 20, which was not with 1501, which makes me think you know she signed I, something with You know what I will say about that part? I do yeah. believe that she's purposely being vague about that. I think I think she's doing that part on purpose. I don't think that she's I think she knows when she signed that deal. I think everybody knows when they sign a goddamn deal. They first right. I think she knows when she did it, but I think she's purposely being vague. Because if I keep saying, well, I think I was like 20, 21, it makes it seem like I was more innocent and a little more ignorant than I actually am. I think she's doing that part on purpose. Somebody may have coached her to do that. It's just like, you remember when Michael Jackson was young and they would tell Michael to say that he was 10 when he was 13? Yeah. <laughs> so like that. But I mean, Honestly, I think that's done for real. Exactly. Like 1501 literally didn't exist until... 2018, you know, as a lady. I didn't say the person that advising it was smart. <laughs> but I do think that's being done on purpose because I'm going to look at, granted it's only three years, I'm going to look at a 20-year-old, somebody between 18 and 20, I'm not going to expect them to think like a person. Like, you know, you do a lot of, gr- between 18 and like 25, still, that's a chunk of life that you do a lot of fast growing and a lot of fast development. So I wouldn't, I don't expect a 20 or 18 year old to look at the same things that I expect a 23, 24 year old to look at. So, you know, yeah, I would say to get some sympathy points, I would say, oh, when I was this age, I was that age. I ain't know no better to get sympathy points. Cause You're you know, they're playing, like I said, with, yeah. But I still wouldn't be surprised if it turns out that she knew T. Ferris a couple years before this deal happened. And that, yeah, that may be, that may be the case too. I kind of like, I didn't think about that until you said that, that that could be the case. I didn't literally until you said that today that I was like, damn, she probably did sign something with T. Ferris and didn't know that he didn't necessarily have a company behind him. I didn't think about that until you said it. But my initial thought was, oh, she playing that up. Cause I'm like, even I knew, I was like, if you just signed a couple years ago, you 25, what the fuck you mean you was 20? Like, you know, I was thinking that, but that's me being a person who's actively trying to get into the music industry. He just the way I'm gonna look at shit and think about it, like to both of us, the way we're gonna look at shit and think about it's gonna be different from like a general audience. But we also know that these people are playing to a general audience. So how do you play to a general audience? You make yourself look like the victim, you make the label look like this terrible, mean group of bullies. When actually out there, they just niggas who invested money and want their money back. <laughs> Anybody that invests some money in some shit probably gonna want <laughs> spent back plus they profit. But I said all that to say that the person that Meg felt like was there with her, you know, from the beginning, who helped set all this up, like, he, like, T. Ferris knew Carl Cochran when they were kids. They played T-ball together. So that person was never working for you. Whenever she signed with 300, they weren't working for her. Now she's with Rock Nation, and people keep referring to the Rock Nation's lawyers as, oh, Meg's lawyers, Meg's team, Meg's no, camp. They're not, they're, they're they're not her lawyers. team. They're not her camp. They're, it's it's in their best interest right now to help her win this lawsuit against 1501. But those people work for Rock Nation. Meg needs to find people who work, uh, who work for her. Apparently her mother was involved at one point. Her mother has since passed away, but it, it sounds like nobody else has stepped in. Like T. Ferris was, you know, like helped broker the deal with 1501. T. Ferris has been the road manager. T. Ferris was with her when she met the people at Rock Nation, right? And so it, it just sounds like she's never even had space to find someone who would work for her. So that's number one. And also on that note of figuring out where the money is coming and going, Carl Crawford, dude, you're saying things that don't make sense. Like you went <laughs> in this billboard interview 
And Billboard asked outright, you know, um, what do you have to say regarding the claim uh, that Meg is making that the label has only ever paid her $15,000? Um, in regards to that, the only thing that he said, or at least the only thing that was published, uh, was that, oh, we paid her more than $15,000. As a matter of fact, when we signed the deal with three hundred, dollars they gave me a check for $200,000, and I gave her $50,000, and I didn't have to do that. And so when I read that, the first thing I said was, what label gives an artist $50,000 that they don't have to give them? That's a quarter of whatever you got from 300. So then the question becomes, okay, what was this $200,000 for? Was this an advance from 300? Was this a payment of some sort? Were they paying for some percentage of rights to something that Meg has, whether it's her likeness, her music, some part of the 360 deal? What was that $200,000 for? And if you didn't have to give $50,000 to Meg, then why did you give $50,000 to Meg? It's like you're telling conflicting stories because if I'm looking at this from a legal perspective, I'm saying, okay, so you didn't, you, you're saying you don't owe her any money, you give her everything you owed, but you just gave her $50,000? It doesn't make sense. It sounds like you felt like you knew she was entitled to that on some level and you gave it to her for that reason, right? That's what it sounds like, but you know, with bad bookkeeping. <laughs> bad bookkeeping and a lot of ignorance comes these things. And just like, you know, if you're gonna sign to somebody, at least sign to somebody who has some experience, you know, be weary of that. You know, if they gonna try to make you feel like I'm a big boy, you can take this out your contract, take that out your contract. Figure out their background in music, at least. You know, if they don't have a background in music, and you know, like I said, her situation, the guy T Ferris was there, so she made, she's from here, so she's heard his name before. She may feel comfortable with him being a part of it, but you know, kind of you want to think about that who's financing this what's their background in music whether it's going to become a thing or not who knows but it probably should be a thing labels should make that a thing to like hire people who know music to work the music industry it's kind of like you own a kitchen you're gonna hire a chef right <laughs> right and i think you're gonna hire people that, that work in the kitchen industry <laughs> yeah. right exactly um, but I think part of the reason why that doesn't happen as often as it should is because the music industry started off as one thing and the digital advancements have basically turned it into something else. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'll make a few points about like how the changes in the music industry have affected Meg. Um, and, you know, thinking that we'll probably revisit this sometime after the hearing that happens on the 13th, because I'm sure there'll be a lot of publicity after that we'll just kind of like make a few notes for independent artists that might be listening. So one is when it comes to all these deals that were signed, you know, that's one area where the music industry currently gets messy, right? Because there's a difference between management, production and distribution, right? So it wasn't clear what kind of deal Meg signed with 1501, but it sounds like it was a production deal. And I say that because of the components of her deal that are related to recording profits, and that requ uh, require her to put out a certain number of albums. So it sounds like a production deal. And a typical production deal, those used to be the deals that like every artist wanted because they needed it in order to be a professional recording artist. You needed that advance in order to have money to hire sound engineers, hire producers, probably hire writers, um, other musicians, background singers, and whatever else you needed to complete uh, a recording or an album not to mention the money that went into professional photos, uh, packaging and making physical copies of your content, right? And so the advance was always something that was basically given to an artist as a loan and everything involved with marketing and like, like creating their music, producing it, creating the physical copy, copies, marketing it, it came out of that advance. So you had to be very smart about how you invested that advance into your own career to make sure that you recoup that money and was able to pay it back to the, to the label. Otherwise, not only did you not make any money, but then you owed money to the label. That part is still the same, right? Where things get fuzzy is with things like 300 Entertainment and a distribution deal. It used to be that you needed a distribution deal to get your music into music stores. Exactly. Or even but in the 90s, other stores like Walmart and Target. And now it's kind exactly. of like, okay, what does the distribution deal really do? Because I can digitally distribute music myself. Okay. And so there are some companies... Uh... Huh?
I was like, I was naming some of them that I could think of. Distro Kids, one of them. Uh, what's the other one? Me talk about a lot. Uh, Distro Kids, CD Baby. I can't think of the other one. That's what Tune Core. That's what I was thinking of. Tune Core, CD Baby. There's so many of them that you literally can just put your own, and then you're gonna be. I think your Spotify, Spotify's trying to get to the point where you can upload it yourself straight to Spotify, and there's they, a way also that. that that's available. Yeah. And if you have the That's available enough money, with, you can do the same thing with Apple Music, Google Music, YouTube Music, any of But also, um, with SoundCloud, is it is either SoundCloud or Reverb? I think it's Reverb Nation. Reverb Nation, I think if you give them like 20 a month, they can put your child on each distribution platform, each sound platform as well, too. So it's like, what us saying that is like, what's the real, what is, what is the distribution and I've been trying to figure this out, like, before even... I've been trying to figure this shit out since everybody started buying their shit straight from iTunes. Because you can well, just put thing, your shit straight to iTunes. So it's like, what is the distribution, distribution label? Now is that, like, some distribution... Some companies that offer distribution deals, they might offer money that's supposed to go towards marketing um, and sometimes even merchandise, like, things like that. Or they might yeah. offer... Um, like sync licensing deals. So if you're like, man, I want to get my music into movies, they'll offer services that will supposedly help you do that. But then technically that's publishing, not distribution, right? And then you have management deals. So like Rock Nation, it sounds like they want to help manage Meg's image. So they'll probably be involved with merchandising, which is apparently also a component of her product, uh, her production contract. And they'll also yeah. probably be involved with getting her shows and getting her appearance appearances, which are also components of her 360 deal. And so I think that's why, you know, people who go into the music industry now wanting to make money from music, it's so easy to get confused and turn around with like who is responsible for what and who's signing what. And it's just, you know, one thing you have to know as an artist and that I think Meg didn't know when she originally signed and still doesn't know now is who is doing what, who's responsible for what. And now that she's in litigation, she's got to figure out, you know, who is responsible for fixing this? Whose fault is this? And she has no way of knowing because she doesn't know what she signed. And then everything else, it sounds like surrounding what she signed is so fuzzy. So if I were an independent artist, that is where I would start in getting clear on what are the components that I need to be taken care of in order for me to have a full music career and a profitable music career and who do i need to help me with these components in the beginning you might not need to sign a distribution deal and if you decide to sign a distribution deal they better be doing a hell of a lot more for you than just putting your music you on digital platforms because otherwise you don't exactly. need them you do not you need do that them for yourself at all a lot cheaper right you need um 50 bucks and Wi-Fi is what you need uh, <laughs> to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, and anything else. So that was like the main, my main thing right now for independent artists. Now, as this situation unfolds, there might be more to add. I have a feeling that there will be, especially when it comes to um, what Meg thought she was worth and what she agreed to and what she's agreeing to now, especially in terms of live shows um, and some of the percentages she agreed to, but I'll wait to hear more before I really pass judgment on that. What about you? What would you say? Only thing I would say is not to sound like those niggas. It was like, man, she should have had a lawyer. But I think, I think, uh, in this climate, and I think for independent artists looking, they should look at it like this. In this climate, you understand now that if you're coming a commercial artist, that you know you're going from being an artist or a musician to being a brand. And I think if you understand that you're a brand, then you should treat you should treat what you're doing like a brand. You should hire your own for all of it. You should hire your own. You should have your own team coming into labels. And I think some of the artists, there are artists that everybody don't view as big, big or successful, but they have long-term careers. When you think about their career, they're still relevant. They have long-term careers. And they'll tell you themselves that, like, you know, whatever the label doesn't do, they, they go out and do it for themselves because they understand that they're a brand. And, you know, I think, like I said, a lot of, I can't say everybody that's popping, but like, you know, rest in peace to Nipsey. When we look at artists like Nipsey, I think that was a big part of what that marathon mindset was is that, look, this is a business. This is going to be a business and we're going to treat it like a business. And, you know, all those other entities will just grow those entities. You know, when he decided to do merch, he made that 
his his brand, Crenshaw. And, you know, he had a store for it and everything. So that's also his merch that you can buy on tour. But there's also a store for that. his clothing line. You know, just treat it like a business. So if, you know, we're going to do – if we're going to do sync licensing, then let's open up a department, our own department, for sync licensing. Let's hire people who know about sync licensing. Let's keep that all in-house. I think, like, in these – in this 20 decade, this 2020 decade, we're going to see a lot of artists moving more towards that. Especially, like you said, with you being able to upload and control so much shit yourself, it really does come to the point where it's like, I just say it is kind of laziness. Because you can learn this shit yourself. These people, these labels, they sat down and learned shit. Like, you can sit down and learn shit. You have a mind like they have a mind. So it's like, you know, and if you don't have a mind... If you're making enough off of your music initially, because, you know, I'm, me and you don't talked about this personally, that I'm not against deals, because if you don't have money off the rip, you know, I don't, as long, like I said, as long as you're treating it like business and you're figuring out what you're owed, you have people working for you, I don't have anything against a person going into a deal, right. because it's like any type of business loan, it's a loan. And if it works out the way it's supposed to work out, you're supposed to profit, just like they're supposed to profit. But the smart thing to do once you profit is to not, I'm about to ball out crazy now. You know, he's like, I'm going to buy my mama a house. No, keep that money and get your lawyer. Your mama, is, you know, you can help your mom out you can, or you can move out of her neighborhood, but you don't have to get her this big mansion. You know, keep that money and get your lawyer, retain as much as you can and start building yourself up independently. So let's say you do hit a height where you're at the height of a big son or a meat meal. And you have a strong enough team. You know, Yo Gotti is doing this right now. Yo Gotti is like, he doesn't think he's going to resign his next contract. Like, you know, he's at a position now where he's big enough and he has a strong enough team. He's like, I just might just go back independent. My name is strong enough to carry me. And I got a team that know what they're doing. Because Yo Gotti's been doing like 20 years. So it's like, why even sign to us at this point? I own my master's. I own my publishing. Might as well just keep it all in-house. And I feel like that's the way, you know, moving forward, how a lot of these artists should be looking at it. Like I said, I'm not against like I said, I'm not against getting a deal because some of the people who didn't get a deal, they had to do a lot of risky shit <laughs> to, to still come up with that same type of money. And, you know, it's cool. I was making a joke with somebody the other day because I was asking why niggas don't make rap songs about pimping anymore. And everybody was like, human trafficking. I was like, but we still make songs about murdering niggas. So, you know, look, I, this is a dead serious conversation. I was listening to Too Short and I was like, yo, Too Short made some smooth-ass music, but he just rapped about pimping. And I was like, Niggas refuse to rap about pimping anymore. And folks are like, well, you know, human trafficking is kind of scary. I was like, murder has always been scary. <laughs> and we have yet to slow up on rapping about that. But now, like, shit, too. Now that I think about Too Short is a great example of that. Because Too Short, in the early rap days, Too Short was independent for a very long time and preached staying independent. He did not want to sign a deal. And when he did, did sign a deal, he literally said, I forget the interview he said it on. He was like, I still recorded at the same uh, studio that I always recorded at. So the price was still cheap. And he said, I would make like five or six albums in a week. And they just paid me for every album I turn in. <laughs> so granted, he and may not be getting the long term. Is that, you know, he may not be getting the long term benefits of his projects. But you got to think about in the late 80s, early 90s, you're getting like 100,000, 200,000 per project, then you're still touring your shows anyway. It's still, you may not get the long-term benefits, but it's working out the way that he wants it to work out, which I think like at this point in time, we really should be looking at it. That's how artists should be looking at it. So much shit we can do on our own now. So many things are so much more affordable than they were at first. You know, when Busta Rhyme was out, it was probably like 50,000 to 100,000 to shoot a quality music video. You can get a quality music video done for 15,000 or less now. You, it don't even have to be quality now. Niggas really enjoy watching niggas jump around circles with guns. <laughs> exactly. I've seen people put out music videos that they paid like $150 for. Exactly. You know, <laughs> uh, Look Alive, the Drake and Black Boy JB. So I'm going to do a lot of Memphis references, guys. I'm from Memphis. But Look Alive, the dude did that his name, uh, Frederick Ali, another Memphis dude. And like he, he was just a local dude who did videos, but he was cool with Black Boy. He did a lot of his videos. Drake doing that video with him made do into a video brand now. Drake like popped off three careers with that shit. That's crazy as fuck. That nigga had that much strength in their brand. You can you may not be able to drop a lot of lot of music, but
but three months you can come up with 1500 and whatever your song if you're dropping songs constantly on your soundcloud whichever one you pay attention to that seems like it's getting the most gravitation make the video for that song right and you make a good point about the feature people already though, like because if I, I think that's one thing that people don't think about. Like, if you do get an advance right now, it's um, it, it would almost make more sense to pay for, like, features and, like, yeah. to, to get the right people associated with you than to, like, pay for, like, a super expensive music video. You know, because if you can get somebody like a Drake or a Schoolboy Q exactly. or even, like, an Isaiah Rashad exactly. or whatever, I'm exactly. like, that can do a lot for you. You know, and it's I'm always, thinking, yeah. like, how much was, like, Logic's last deal? It was a lot. That thirty million. That yeah, last year, you know, but that last million. album that he put out, he had like a ton of features. Like I don't think it was free to Eminem. get the entire Wu Tang Clan on a track, but it did a lot for him. It did a lot for the numbers of yeah. that particular project, and I would even say it did a That's lot right. for his reputation. I know some people still don't like Logic, and you know you might yeah. be on the fence about him, but generally speaking, like that album did a lot for his reputation. It did a lot yeah. for his show streaming numbers business-wise like logic you know it's like you said whether people like logic is there but business-wise as far as hip-hop goes logic is one of the people that's like slept on just how, how he does his business and he's smart because he has a fan base his fan base is more widespread because he's not a street artist that's why so many people can connect to logic and he really knows how to make pop music with no real core feelings to it <laughs> which makes a lot of people able to gravitate towards it and you know, uh, you have the guy Russ, the same thing. Business wise, I hate to say it because these are white rappers, but they seem to know what they're doing business wise. Like Russ said at the time when he didn't have a name, he was researching touring companies and booking agencies and figuring out which ones were the ones that booked the bigger names. Most artists are thinking about a label, he's thinking about a booking agency because Russ has already got it in his head touring is where the money is going to be at, and that's how i'm going to make my bread and butter so i need to get with the best touring agency and russ is one of the richest current rappers right now so it's not for no reason <laughs> and was independent for a very long time before you find his major deal so you know it's not for no reason that he looked at that or thought like that and i don't know that does need to be the mindset of a lot of artists you know but we also have to keep in mind that you know my new saying is when people say that rap is a young man's game, it's because young people are easy to fool. As simple as that. So I think in this mindset, you know, you need to think about that too. You know, if you're not into music yourself, but you got a younger person around you that's into music, you know, I feel like by the time you hit 25, most of us are pretty. We don't know a lot about business, but we're business savvy enough to know that we need to ask questions. We need to look into things. So if you got a young person around you that really just wants to be an artist, but he doesn't know a lot of what's going on, then you know, make that your thing to do that for them and expose them to that information. But I think like that needs to be the mindset is just like looking at, looking at, like you said, how, what your podcast is going to be doing, which is looking at this from the business perspective, understanding that it's a dream but it's a business. You know, Krispy Kreme was a nigga's dream at some point, but there's a business aspect to selling donuts <laughs> that he had to figure out. I mean, for real, like, and you know, these realizations even that I didn't have to have over the recent years and shit that I feel like are going to do me good moving forward, but it's just things that need to be realized in people's heads. And that don't mean you take away from your creative aspect, you know, or you be less creative, but that means that you be aware that there is a business session to this and the business session is going to determine how I make my living off of this. You know, if I decide I don't want to be a mainstream rapper because I don't want to play the mainstream games, you can still be a highly paid independent artist and not even have a big name. You just have to have a solid fan base that are going to pay for your product and your content, you know, but the only way you know that is if you sit down and learn this business, learn like any business, Meet some business owners. That's what I tell a lot of artists do. And they don't even have to be big-time business owners. Meet small-time business owners. This is what's been shocking me as of late. Meet one-person businesses and talk about how much they make working for themselves versus how much you make at a job. That's not even telling you doing music. It's how much you make for a job. And you start realizing, you know what? If I really sit down and figure this shit out, I could make a living off right. of it. Like, if you think about that, like, a lot of people at a regular job, depending on what level they're at, you know, low level, you know, we're looking at 30,000 mm -hmm. or less, you know, most people who consider themselves yeah. doing okay are like at 45, 50, 
you know, people who consider themselves doing well, sometimes it's just like 75,000 a year that they're making. Uh, uh, Those are numbers exactly. that you definitely you can make that doing research. have the right mindset. Like if you go into it knowing that you have to make decisions that are going to make you money. But if you go into it, like you said earlier, like, oh, as long as I have good music, everything will be good. Like, no, everything's not going to be good. But um, and not only that, but you also know that you can have quote unquote bad music, and she can work out better for you. Yes. I, that was my favorite argument in college. That was like my favorite argument because it makes so many of your true hip hop friends so angry when I'd be like, "Look at Trinidad James, <laughs> look at Soldier Boy, people who are considered to have bad music, but look at the amount I mean, of success we'll be, we'll that I'm not we'll saying that shows. they're personally seeing." Exactly. Look at I will. I'm a. Anytime I'm on your show, I'm going to say that brand. I'm not going to say the artist because you never know. As we see with Meg, you never know what the artist is getting. But look at how successful that brand is, though. Look how successful successful of a brand Soldier Boy was. Trinidad James for that short loop that he had. Lil B, uh, who right now would be considered a crappy artist this big? I can't think of anybody in particular that's big, big, that people don't like. People don't like, I think Young Thug is talented, but people don't like Young Thug. Look at how successful of a brand that is. You know, so many artists that are just great brands that they did well. And people are like, oh, but they ain't real hip-hop. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> and if you make real hip-hop, that's fine because, you know, you have groups like Griselda now that are completely independent but are doing great. Been on Jimmy Kimmel and all of that. That is a good brand that's making, quote-unquote, real hip-hop. So even if you're doing that, it's just the fact that they have a brand that is working. They have a brand and they have a good brand and they stick it within their brand and they know what they want. They have a brand and a vision and they're sticking to that and it's working great for them. It's like, you know, I feel like people like Jay-Z probably knew that, but Jay-Z was in the streets for a long time and Jay-Z was successful. Anybody around him, they were saying he was successful in the streets. He was already in the hundreds of thousands, (laughs) you know, selling drugs. He already understood business. So when he came to this, of course, he understands the questions to ask. I mean, I know exactly, exactly what to ask for business-wise. I know what to look for. I know what to think about. I know what type of questions to ask. And I right. think that's becoming the thing as we move forward into this. I think artists really need to think about that, though. Like, just looking at yourself as a brand. What should your brand look like? What's going to be advantageous for your brand to make money? Because as you build your brand, then you build your leverage. Then as you build your leverage, when you decide, maybe I do want a label, you can actually say, yo, we ain't with that. We don't want that shit. <laughs> and this right. is why, because we already like have this. You can't really say what you want or don't want from a label unless you know what you need in regards yeah. to your goals. Exactly. So you have to you have already that- looked at yourself as a business in order to know what a label can and can't or should or shouldn't do for you. Exactly. But I took a second to Google the situation just to see if anything else came out like within the past hour. And I did find a few more details that support my theory. I really think Meg signed something with T. Ferris when she was 20. And I question whether or not she herself ever actually signed anything with 1501 or if she realized she was signing something new with 1501. Like if she did sign something, I don't know if she realized it was a new deal. I think she thought maybe she had signed with T. Ferris and T. Ferris was like a part of this business or is presenting a new opportunity or something. But Meg made a statement and in part of that statement, she said, Ferris is grinding with me. Carl has never spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, but all that will be sorted in court, right? And so she's like, Ferris is grinding with me. But as we know from Carl, once again, Carl and T. Ferris were friends since they were kids. Ferris was supposed to be working for Carl and with Carl. So, you know, it just goes back to that whole idea of just like Ferris knew, uh, Meg knew Ferris before Meg knew Carl. And also what you were saying about the fact that Ferris must be the bad guy, because that's the only thing that makes it make sense to have Meg this like, you know, just following the idea that, no, Ferris is grinding with me. And then also T. Ferris was with uh, Meg when she went and met with Rock Nation. And T. Ferris told Carl, Carl. you know, like, you don't need to be here for this meeting. We're not really doing anything. We're just, they're just touring. Like, they're just showing us the premises. We're not really doing anything. Next thing you know, she signed a management deal with Rock Nation. You know, I'm like, I wonder how Carl felt when that happened after he got a message from his homeboy, like, oh, you don't need to fly out here. You don't need to be here. But then all of a sudden his artist has this uh, management deal. But um, another part of this confirms the part about this advance 
um, because it does confirm that her advance had to be recouped before she was getting 40 to 60% of her recording profits. So that might be why she feels like she's been shorted. If she didn't realize that she had to pay back that advance first, then that might be why she feels like she's not getting money that she thought she was supposed to get already. And just to be clear, with streaming alone in the very beginning, you're not going to make a lot of money. Even if you have a, a high number of streams, like 3 million streams does not equal $3 million. Like it will equal like a fraction of that. Usually one stream is like a fraction of a penny, usually. Um, and it varies because of the way streaming services divvy up, you know, the money that they make from subscriptions and whatnot. And that's a different conversation. But if they weren't keeping their books well, it's hard for Meg to know what she was owed. And if she wasn't aware of what's in her contract, she might not have realized how much money she had to pay back before she started getting 40%. And then on top of all that, it looks like according to this, like we said before, 60-40 was just for the recording. But then for her shows, it's like she was getting 100000 But then things related to like featured artists. Um, like, so tour participants and things like that, that revenue was split. So we really don't know how much of that she was owed either. So I think that just all goes along with the general theme that we've been talking about of like, you have to treat this like a business, which means you have to have people on your side that are keeping good records and that are working for you on your behalf to make the best decisions for you and that actually know the industry and know what they're doing. And you have to be committed to your brand and knowing the role of your brand and your people within the music industry at large. So I would say let's let's plan to revisit this sometime after that first hearing. I'd love to like revisit this conversation if you're up for it. But for now, I'll just say thank you for listening to the first episode of the business part. Uh, we look forward to doing this again. Tell him bye 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 And if you see a mad hoe Tell her ha ha ha